Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. What's up? What's up? What's up? As you just heard, we are MMA FanCast. My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. Today on this episode, we're going to give you another edition of our series called The Green Corner. The Green Corner features both amateur fighters and early stage pro fighters. The first edition or episode that we did was on Megan Williams. She's a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if you want more on her story, you can check in on episode 123. This episode, we talk with Jonas Rubiano. He's a Bantamweight fighter. And not so coincidentally, he also fights out of Stout Training Pittsburgh. And we'll be on the July 27th Brawl in the Berg card for 247 Fighting Championships. Also coming up in future podcast episodes, we go back to the Red vs. Blue Corner series where we feature fighters from Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. You're not going to want to miss that. And then down the road just a bit, we're going to be checking back in with some fighters who made the cut, who appeared on Dana White's Contender Series, and they were able to earn a contract. So you're going to hear that conversation also. With all that said, let's take you to our Green Corner feature and Jonas Rubiano. Jim Mooney here with MMA FanCast. And again, we are at Media Day for Brawl in the Berg, which is the second event for 247 Fighting Championships. That fight is going to occur July 27th at Princecape Arena in Cannonsburg, PA, which is about 20, 25 minutes southwest of Pittsburgh. So keep that date in mind. You're going to want to come down just like the first fight, um, which was back in April, was an exciting card. This one is going to be even better. Right now I'm speaking with Jonas Rubiano. He is fighting at a catch weight of 128. Currently, Jonas is 1-1 one one as a pro. He's got six fights under his belt as an amateur. So we got a couple questions for him. Jonas, how you doing right now? Uh, hi there. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Feel, feel great. Fight ready. We spoke about some things off air and um, one of the things we talked about was was records and you had an interesting take and i i like this outlook or view on this and you said records when i'd mentioned your amateur record i had mentioned it to you and your response was well records are for djs It, it is a great attitude to have because with wins and losses they all come with a learning lesson and sometimes a loss you learn so much more in things that occurred and your takeaway from that fight. It can be a, a bigger learning 
uh, opportunity for a fighter. Um, and then that, that depends on who the fighter is, who they're surrounded by in their fight camp, their coaches, and so forth. So what we talked about was coming into your first fight as a pro. You had um, your last two fights as an amateur were finishes. They were both KO, TKOs, and they occurred pretty quickly. And I believe, if my recollection is is right, they both occurred under a minute. And I want to say um, each of them might have been 45 seconds and less. So you're walking out to the ring, a pro fighter, after after those two fights. And you get into the ring and you've got that, I'm, I'm guessing, in the back of your mind, you have this ability to stop fights early, you're a finisher, and it's you know maybe one of the things you want to be known as. The fight didn't work out quite the way that you had planned, and I'm going to let you talk about that. So your walkout, the bell rings for your fight, so take us from there for your first pro fight. Honestly, I, I remember the fight wasn't long to begin with, but uh, to be honest, uh, but I, I remember basically every second of it leading up to uh, me getting knocked out. Um, I went in there, I, you know, like you said, I had uh, last two amateur fights were really good. They went my uh, they went my way against two really tough guys. Um, so I definitely thought that, um, and I believed even now that I, I had the capability. I just feel like it was uh, maybe I felt a little bit too comfortable. Uh, it was a, uh, the biggest show that I've ever been on. It was the first time I traveled outside the country to fight. Um, I did feel like I had a lot of pressure, but it was, it was all, all on myself. But back to the fight, um, yeah, I, I remember it. I remember circling around. I remember trying to feel out range and, and timing and then um, just being lazy with the jab and um, getting hit with a hot one, as they say. So this fight coming up is a catchweight at 128. Uh, and that fight, that first pro fight, you took at Bantamweight because basically your your walk around is is pretty close to it. You know, I think you said you were like 136 and a half coming in to that first pro fight. So uh, going forward, with this fight being at 128, I know you never want to look past this one, but what is your mindset for fights coming up? You, you know, there's there's always that what I call issues in MMA, whether it's UFC, 1FC, Bellator, um, even on the regional circuit, fighters who, let's just say, let's just say fighters fighting at 135, their walk around generally isn't 135. They're usually like big guys, you know, one mid-140s sometimes, you know, upwards of 150, you know, mid-150s. So, you know, you carried basically your normal weight into your first, first pro fight. With this being a catch weight at 128, do you see yourself fighting at flyweight? Do you want to put on some weight? To, to fight heavier at uh, 135, where do you want to go with that? And is this something that, you know, is a decision on your own or? Uh, yeah, I've, I've talked to my coaches and my teammates about the weight. Um, so I would love it if, if the 135ers were really walking around at 140 or 145. I, I would love that. I'll fight those guys at 35. Um, my old teammates and, and, and some of my current teammates, those, those 135ers are walking around at 155, 160. They're just way too big. Um, I don't know if I really want to put on. I don't know if I can. I'm an old man. I don't know if I could throw on that weight like that and be moving moving around. Um, but the Wilkins brothers have been on me too. Uh, just for lack of a better term, suck it up and, and, and get that weight down to 125 and just 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 get after it. Um, but hey, if we got fights at 130 or, or somebody's trying to do some catch weight stuff, uh, I'll do those. But a 25 is the goal. Both pro and amateur combined, you've got about eight fights under your belt. 
And you had mentioned before that you had also done some uh, some cornering. I know um, we spoke with Megan Williams earlier, and you mentioned that you were the corner for her fight. What's your mindset when you're coming out as a fighter versus when you're coming out as a coach? And how do you look at that fight inside the ring versus outside the ring? Um, as, as a fighter, uh, you know, I, I like to just go in and, you know, it's, <clears throat> I think, um, I don't act selfishly often in life. So I feel like when it is time for me to fight, that's one of those moments I can be overly selfish. So I want to bask in that. I want to do what I want to do. Obviously I'm going to listen to my coaches, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming to have fun. You know, I'm not here to play your game. So that's an easy mentality to have. I think, um, when it comes to, uh, cornering and coaching I've had the benefit luckily I, I switched jobs so I've been able to, to work with people more that's why I had the benefit for Megan choosing me to be her corner it's it's tough because you have to do what's best for the fighter you know I, I'm kind of a crazy person in the back I, I'm swearing or I'm cussing or I'm trying to get myself pumped up however I do that and uh, someone like Megan for instance uh, as much as a savage as she, she is in the cage and on the mats uh, she's she likes it super chill you know she'll, she'll throw in some reggae music and she'll she'll jam out and relax um so you know you have to do that you're nervous for her you know how great uh your person can be because you actually coach them you watch them you weeks lead up that you're watching their sparring you're taking time from what you're doing to make sure that they're focusing on what they need to do to be the best version of themselves that's a it's a little pressure you you don't want to let them down and, and not be able to um help them you know when the time comes it's uh with someone uh, like Mike Wilkins, who I've had in my corner, and I've mentioned that um, he is very good at changing the situation and adapting to situations. And I feel uh, because he did such a great job uh, cornering me and showing me that's how it's done, I, I feel a little bit of pressure to try to live up to be as good as him in that area. But um, but yeah, that's that's probably. I believe when I uh, looked at your stats, and this is uh, coming off of Tapology, it had your first amateur fight back in 2012. It seemed like it, kind of like a slow progression to uh, to get to this point. You know, you've got two pro fights now under your belt, going for your third. Again, you are fighting uh, as in the co-main event for Brawl in the Burg coming up in July. Curious if, you know, what your background is, if you could give us some insight into what you did when you were younger and how it led you to MMA and eventually to this point as a pro MMA fighter. I guess I could I could kind of start a little bit backwards. Um, right now, uh, to, to turn pro, I actually took my first fight. That's part of the reason I took it at a walk-around weight was um, I was working full-time, you know, like 50, 60 hours a week in, in this place making uh, – basically making concrete, but my boss was a jerk, so I quit, you know, um, but uh, it, w it was good money and everything, you just, you know, you feel uh, undervalued, um, so, and I had the opportunity through stout training, so they gave me that opportunity to go pro and everything, um, but back in the day, as far as, like, getting into this stuff, I think anyone, uh, even around my age, that grew up um, in that, like, Ninja Turtle, Power Rangers era, loved to be a hero, and uh, loved that physical combat and the idea of that, uh, you know, the Bruce Lee, everybody loved him um, type deal. Um, so I, 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 it's that, um, to be honest, I, I, I watched my father shadow box a lot. Uh, he would watch boxing and I really didn't know what I was watching, but I watched him and I, I, I you know, every kid looks up to their father growing up. So uh, I'd watch that and I thought, I want to learn that skill. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll get a little bit more attention type thing. But, uh, you know. Uh, from there, I, I've just always had uh, fighting, like I guess, just in me. Uh, I played hockey for a long time, and I, f I fought constantly in hockey, kicked 
getting kicked out of games, you know. Uh, uh, shout out to Gateway High School. Um, uh, but um, you know, uh, from there, I, I fought p people in in college, just just being dumb, just like anybody that ha I just needed a reason to to fight. I don't know what it was, um, but obviously martial arts saved me. But uh, truth be told, my wife is the one who said, "Hey, do you think you could do this stuff?" I was a super fan of the UFC, followed BJ Penn around. She said, "Do you think you could do that stuff?" I said, "Yeah." She says, "Do you think you choke somebody out?" I said, "Yeah, I, I could learn that." She says, "Do you think you could hit somebody hard enough to knock them out?" I said, "Yeah, I could do that." And then she found uh, Henzo Gracie Pittsburgh, and she was like, hey, uh, you know, kind of put up or shut up type of thing. Quit beating up bums at the bars, you know, like we're in our 20s, just stop doing that. And um, uh, she, I went to the gym, I competed, I, 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 I met the staff and the coaches. They said, you're not bad, why don't you, why don't you focus a little bit more of your life on this? And then uh, from there, I've just been slowly, slowly getting into it. I met. I, I came to the gym. Yeah, like you said, about seven years ago, I had my first fight, and then I got con I got concussed shortly after that. Uh, after my first fight, so I took about a year off. Came back. Wasn't even going to come back. I was like, ah, I got concussed. That's what everybody does. Is they stop fighting, right? And then uh, Mike Wilkins called me and was like, Hey, man, we miss you. You want to come on back? And so I was like, Oh, cool. Came back and, and haven't left. I always like to get the background. What leads somebody into a career as a fighter, you know, what is the mindset? It's definitely not uh, what I would call like the normal aspirations for young kids growing up. When I grew up, it was baseball. You know, I, I fell in love with baseball. My grandfather was um, a huge baseball fan. He was a coach in college. He just, he knew all the players. He, when he was younger, as a kid, his uncle was a sports photographer. So back then, uh, baseball teams traveled by train. So when they would go from one city to another out of town, sometimes they, instead of staying at the team hotel, they would actually stay with a friend in the area. And because media back then, reporters and photographers traveled with teams, they got to be really close friends with them. And so there were out-of-town players that would come and stay at, uh, at my uncle's place. Or, you know, my grandfather's, he was my great-uncle, stayed at his place. So my grandfather would go and stay there. And he got to meet players like Babe Ruth, uh, Rabbit Morevo. I mean, big names. Like for me growing up, I wanted to be a baseball player, and I thought, yeah, sure, I could go pro. I got the talent. You know, other people had a different say in that. So, yeah, it's interesting to to me to hear how somebody progresses into whatever their occupation is or their hobbies, because we're all made different, and and everybody has different likes and dislikes. The other question I have for you: so you you, you decide you want to do this, and so you start getting some amateur fights under your belt. You get that experience. So I was wondering if you could um, try and recall the first time that you had taken a shot from an opponent where it really caught your attention, woke you up, and that's when you're like, okay, this is real. I'm in a fight and I need to turn the tables and impose my will on my opponent. Um, uh, yeah, I have, I have two examples, actually both one in training and one in a live situation. Um, this person's gonna love it, but um, I remember the first time I went up to uh, uh, the fight club, Pittsburgh Fight Club it used to be called, uh, and there's Cherico's in the academy. But uh, I went against Mark Cherico for the first time and Mike told Mark like, oh, he's new, but like put it on him, but keep it easy. And I thought, you know, I didn't realize 
truly realize that there's levels to it and i stepped in there and i was like i could box around for him he'll she should like be play it cool and he, he was just so good and so much better than me he dropped me with first time i ever got hit with a liver shot and he was so cool about it i always hated it he he, he knocked me he took the wind out of me i took a knee. i stood there for a second he didn't hit me because he knew it it hit and it connected i took a knee and he goes oh you could take it like 30 seconds and then he like paced around real cool wasn't like too cocky super cool and i was just like man if i could get up and kick your butt i would but i you know i can't um so that was the first time uh where you know it's training and it's it's for it's to better everybody you know it, he didn't he didn't really hurt me he just showed me that there's levels to it and you really have to be on just because you believe it <laughs> I don't mean that might not be enough young one you know um and then in a fight uh one of my uh later amateur fights uh, I faced a guy and uh he ended up being a better record he ended up being bigger and he, and, and and opposite stance than what I trained for the whole fight camp so uh my corner Mike Wilkins was like we got out of the got out of the first round I got my butt kicked and he was like basically said hey stop stop what you're doing and stop trying to do this because you're not going to and do this and he's like are you listening to me and I was like man I'm getting my butt kicked it's hot in here my my my, you know my friends are in the stands and he's like are you listening to me do this and uh it was one of those situations where you dig deep and you're like what am I going to do am I going to jump out of the cage like I'm getting my butt kicked this stinks but you either go in there and you let yourself get defeated you go in there and, and, and you say like put me out then you know like then then then, then earn that because i'm not i'm not i came here and everyone came here to watch me do my thing i'm for sure not going to walk back and have to tell them sorry i cowered out you know i'm out here so so let's get after it i'm going to tell you uh this in advance and and you can do what you want with this information but we've had mike wilkins on our podcast a couple times yeah. in talking with him one of the things that I found interesting, we asked him a question, I, you know, verbatim, I don't recall what it was, but it was something about how much of that coaching during the fight can you hear, can you really apply it to what's happening in the ring at the time they're saying it? And his response was something along the lines of, they, they're calling something out, but they're seeing it from one angle and... You know, it's, it's not that easy for me to go ahead and take what they're coaching to me because I see it differently. So take it with a grain of salt because as the fight's going on, things could change. But any good coach is going to get in your face yeah. and make sure they got your attention. How much of that, what your coach is saying um, as the action is happening... And then we've, we've actually had another fighter say he likes to listen to his opponent's coaches because what they're calling out you know, maybe something that he can then use. So just curious what the coaching and the coach speak um, does for you as that fight is going on. Um, to be honest, I, I don't even really know if I, I, I hear the other uh, opponent's corner and you know you just don't really pay that too much mind you know people have codes anyways so things don't might not even mean what they what they you think they mean um but uh, yeah you're able to, to hone in i think personally as a fighter i'm able to hone in and i hear th the first three voices i hear are um odd um maybe not so odd is the first one i hear my wife that's the first voice i hear in the crowd i'm like man if she could corner me that'd be cool because that's the first voice i hear whenever somebody's screaming i hear that through everything um secondly is mike wilkins i hear his voice and um i'll get back to that and the third one's my friend mikey he's just very very loud um but but back to mike wilkins um 
little known fact is that when he corners you and he tells you to do something, if you do not give him a reaction or try to do it, he will turn his chair around and not corner you for the rest of that round, possibly even the whole entire fight. Who knows? I don't like to risk that, but I had it happen to me um, in one of my amateur fights, the Kaufman fight. John Kaufman is an accomplished ground guy, and he took me down, and he pinned me there, and he was beating me up, and Mike says, get up, and he's like, do this, do that, get under, and I couldn't, and he turned his chair around, and I look over, and he's not even watching my fight, and I thought, that's what I get for not, you know, responding, um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think I, 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 I try to, try to do that, it's, but it is scary, you know, you hear that, I yell at my, when I corner, I yell at fighters i'm like you you need to go if i say punch punch don't kick you know if i say change levels just just do that just trust me because me as a fighter i every fight is different every fighter is different and every fight camp is different from one fight to the next so hearing that is definitely a perspective that we like to pass on to to the people listening to mma fancast we try to give uh, our podcast listeners takes on fights that they don't normally hear from podcasts. Uh, Jonas, I want to thank you for taking your time to uh, to speak to us here on Media Day. He is fighting in the co-main for Brawl in the Berg, which occurs July 27th at Princecape Arena. That is for 247 Fighting Championships. My name is Jim Mooney. This has been MMA FanCast, and that's it for Pitt.